Welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 92, Protest Solemnly. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. I want to take a quick moment this morning and just kind of reintroduce myself to new listeners that don't know my story, don't know who I am, don't follow me on Instagram, which by the way you can do, it's come follow me underscore with Brie. And I'd love to see you there. I always aspire to be better at posting, but you'll at least sort of get to know me. My name is Bree Heiner, and I live in Utah. I have four kids. I have three girls and a boy. My oldest is 14, and my youngest is five, so I'm kind of in the thick of all of the stages. Well, not all of them. I'm kind of out of diapers, but I'm in the thick of a lot of stages of childhood with my kids. I've been married to my husband, Daniel, upcoming 16 years, and uh, we're looking for a place to go to our for our 16th anniversary. So any suggestions, I'm happy to hear them. Um, Now, you might ask, what is your background? Why are you qualified to do this podcast? I'm not. I'm qualified because I have a testimony of Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to study the scriptures, and I'm willing to ask the Lord to help me and hopefully help me say the things that you need to hear. I started doing this in part because I felt so inspired to do it. I remember the moment that I that I felt like I needed to do it. I was on a run and the spirit just overtook my body and I knew that that was what I was meant to do. And I'm so grateful that I followed through with that feeling from the Lord. But also one of the reasons I did it is because I stunk at Come Follow Me. I was doing terrible at consistently studying what we were studying that week. And I knew, I know myself, it's not my best quality, but I know myself and I knew that if I was extrinsically motivated, like somebody else was counting on me to study it, I would do better. And then that would trickle down some good effects to my, actually some great effects to my family because they would have a mother in their home that's studying the scriptures, that's doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so you guys, by listening are helping my family because you motivate me to do this every week. Therefore, my family gets come follow me. They get to sometimes listen to these episodes and they have a mom that knows what she's talking about. Sort of, you know, I'm not, I, like I said, I am not a scripture scholar. I'm just like you. So all that to say, Heavenly Father's so good and he knows exactly what we need. And he knew I needed this podcast. Okay, secondly, really quick, I want to remind you that if you enjoy this podcast, if you could review it, it would be immensely helpful. It changes the algorithm. It boosts my pod, like even if you're, so if you give it five stars on uh, whatever service that you use, that's great, but it boosts it way up in the algorithm. If you review it with, it doesn't have to be long. It can be very short, but just a review um, with a sentence or two. And that's super helpful. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. Okay, let's dive in to our episode this week. So I had a hard time this week because there are so many stories that we could talk about. There's Samuel and Saul and David and Jonathan. And honestly, what I really wanted to talk about, but I didn't, I felt the Lord pushing me in a different direction, but was David and Jonathan because their friendship is so beautiful. And I encourage you to go a a couple chapters further in their, in, um, come follow me this week, because there is just some beautiful friendship stories. A couple of chapters after the last chapter, they have a studying, um, of Jonathan and David's friendship. So encourage you to do that. But this week we are going to focus on the, the beginnings of Samuel's story that we hear about. So remember that we talked about Hannah last week 
And although we didn't get to this part of the story in the last episode, Hannah had a son named Samuel, which was promised to her by the Lord through the priest Eli. And when Samuel was weaned, Hannah brought Samuel to Eli, and Hannah dedicated Samuel's life to the Lord as she had promised. She says at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of 3, O my Lord, as my soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord, and as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Isn't that beautiful? Just pick out some of the phrases in there. For this child I prayed. And then my favorite part, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Always remember that the Lord can do that. The Lord gives us power when we rejoice in his salvation. So Hannah raises her son in the ways of the Lord, and Samuel progresses and seems to be sort of an apprentice to Eli. He's even with Eli at the end of his life. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. After Eli dies, Samuel is a judge of Israel for a while, and we get some details on some of the things that happened in the chapters before we get to the point that we're going to talk about. But eventually we get to the point where the people want a king because Samuel's sons, who have been appointed as judges over Israel as well, are not being righteous. They are taking bribes, seeking after money, sleeping with women, etc., It says in chapter 8, verse 5, And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. So this is the people talking to him. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. When the people said this, Samuel had some feelings about it. It says in verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Okay, we're going to stop there for a moment. The people who Samuel has stewardship over are seeking things that upset him. And honestly, I really, I don't really get them because they're upset that Samuel's sons are being bad and so they want a king, which if you know human nature, you would know that that king has the potential to be bad too and then he has all power over you. So to me, it's really not logical. But they are seeking things that upset Samuel. Do you have people in your life that are either family members or friends or your children or your spouse who decide that they want something, have decided that they want something that is contrary to the commandments of God. I know that we we all do. Depending on who you are thinking about, your reaction, your role in their story is going to be different based on your stewardship over them and relationship with them. And different ways to handle the situation are appropriate for different relationships. But I think we can learn a lot from the way that Samuel reacted when he heard this distressing news that the people wanted this thing that he knew was contrary to what the Lord wanted. So he went straight to the Lord. He didn't condemn them. He didn't try to control them. He didn't get angry with them. When he was displeased, he went straight to the Lord. When someone you care about does something that displeases you, that may be against the commandments of God, or at least may be a decision that you didn't approve of, what is the first thing you do? What What is the first place you look? Do you condemn them? Do you try to control them? Do you get angry with them? Or do you counsel with the Lord first? 
I think that that counseling with the Lord can look different. If it needs to be something in the moment that needs to be a quick response, I think you can always say a quick prayer in your heart first to help you calibrate that response. But even better, if you can take a pause and go counsel with the Lord, there is no way that that can be anything but incredibly helpful. Alma, speaking to his son Helaman, said this of prayer in Alma 37, 36-37. Cry unto God for all thy support. Yea, let thy doings be unto the Lord, and whithersoever thou goest, let it be in the Lord. Yea, let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Yea, let all thy affections of thy heart be placed upon the Lord forever. Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. Yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep. And when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if ye do these things, ye shall be lifted up in the last day. He says, let all thy doings be unto the Lord. Wherever you go, let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. You can't go wrong consulting with the Lord. So the Lord answers Samuel after he goes to the Lord about this this thing that the people want. The Lord says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 8, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and shew them the manner of king that shall reign over them. So protest solemnly. What pattern does the Lord follow here? The Lord basically tells Samuel to honor their agency, but not to remain silent on what is right. He asked him to protest solemnly. Sometimes I think that we restrain ourselves from making clear to those we love what is right and what is wrong, or what is unwise based on guidelines the Lord has said to keep us safe. Now, I don't want anyone to mishear me. Samuel had stewardship over these people given to him by the Lord. We don't want to overstep our bounds. We don't want to hurt any feelings. And by hurt feelings, I don't mean that their feelings are hurt because you said the truth. Remember that Laman and Lemuel were constantly hurt because Nephi spoke the truth to them. Truth does cut deep. But what I mean is that we don't want to hurt feelings because we are being unnecessarily harsh. We don't want to be self-righteous. And self-righteous is another tricky one too because likely the person that you are talking to might think that you are self-righteous simply because you're declaring the truth. So that's more of a you looking inward to your own heart and and feeling and kind of checking with yourself to make sure that you are not being self-righteous. We don't want to allow our shyness to keep us from being bold. And, and I could go on. There are a million reasons that you might decide to withhold verbalizing the truth to those that you love. Now, that's also not to say that there aren't times and places for things. I certainly hold back when I when and where I want to say things depending on the circumstance. I know that me just spewing out the truth all the time is not going to be very good for a lot of my relationships. So I don't. But the Lord as you seek his guidance as you as you seek his his spirit to be with you, you will know when the right time is. And it's your job not to get in your own way. Now, verbalizing the truth as God defines it should never be mistaken for trying to control other people. All the people around you, even if they're your children, have their agency. In the pre-mortal existence, you wisely chose to come to earth knowing that it was good for us to have agency. Not only did you want yourself to have agency, but you wanted your children and your family members and your friends to have agency. You knew it was necessary for us to reach our full potential. 
You don't want kids or friends or spouses that are robots. You want fully dynamic human beings who have agency, even if they're using that agency in a way that is hurtful to you or to others or themselves or to God. You want them to have that agency, whether it makes you a little unhappy or not, because you know your premortal self knew that agency was necessary and good. Wanting to control that person or wish their agency away is, I'm sorry to break it to you, Satan's plan. And I always try to think that about myself when I'm analyzing if I'm being too controlling with my children. Now, obviously, I'm not going to let my toddler run out into the street because he has agency. But I always try and analyze if I am being like Satan, if I'm trying to control my children's agency to the point that's beyond what I should be doing as a parent, because I never want to be on the side of Satan. So we love agency. We want agency. We want the people around us to have agency. But that doesn't mean the Lord wants us to stay silent. If we were to follow the plan set forth by the Lord here, we plainly, clearly, and solemnly say what is true as God defines it, and then we honor their agency. Sometimes I feel as though we feel like we need to caveat or sugarcoat what the Lord has to say because it might offend someone or make them upset. God is love, and everything that God says is truth. We are holding ourselves above God if we think that we know better than he does. If we think that we have to change what he says to be loving, you cannot outlove God. The most loving thing you can say is to say God's word without caveat, without apologies. God does not need or want your apologies. Alma knew this. He said in Alma 31 verse 5, the preaching of the word of God had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just. Yea, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them. Therefore, Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. The virtue of the word of God. There is nothing not good about what God has to say. Now, there are harsher ways that we probably shouldn't go about doing this, but we do not need to sugarcoat or caveat the word of God because it is love and it has the most powerful effect upon the minds of the people around you than anything else that you can do. Because ultimately, you can't save people. Only the Lord can. So you need his word and you need his word unfiltered by what you have to say. Henry B. Eyring said, The word of God is the doctrine taught by Jesus Christ and his prophets. Alma knew that the words of doctrine had great power. They can open the minds of people to see spiritual things not visible to the natural eye. And they can open the heart to feelings of the love of God and a love for truth. Oh, I love that last part. It can open someone's heart to a love for the truth. Is there anything The world needs more right now than to have love instead of disdain for the truth. And Alma tells us here that the word of God can do that. Elder Larry R. Lawrence said this of parenting. Imagine for a moment that your daughter was sitting on the railroad tracks and you heard the train whistle blowing. Would you warn her to get off the tracks? Or would you hesitate, worried that she might think that you were being overprotective? If she ignored your warning, would you quickly move her to a safe place? Of course you would. Your love for your daughter would override all other considerations. You would value her life more than her temporary goodwill. Now, I know he's talking about parenting here, but I really think that it can apply to 
any relationship that you have stewardship with or I, I and I think I think it's tricky. I tried to think of how to describe what kinds of relationship we have stewardships over. And I think that's something that the Holy Ghost can help you with because just because someone's my friend, I think the Lord sometimes gives us some measure of stewardship or responsibility toward that person. Good friends don't let good friends make bad decisions without saying something. So obviously there's some level of stewardship there. So I think it's kind of up to you to evaluate relationships and decide what level of stewardship or responsibility you have toward that person and to what degree the Lord will hold you accountable for your action in helping or not helping that person. And your involvement is even going to be influenced on what stage of the relationship you are in with that person. You're obviously going to be more involved in continuing to guide and a little bit more closely control a small child as opposed to an adult child and be more and less involved. But I think that the structure laid out here by the Lord to Samuel still applies. Always speak truth as God defines it. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not relative to who you're talking to. Truth is not as the world defines it. We are to speak truth as God defines it. Protest solemnly, unashamed, and then respect their agency and love and serve them. And this is exactly what Samuel does. He tells the people, what the Lord has to say. He explains to them what will happen if they get a king and why it's not advisable. In chapter 8, verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. So the people chose not to listen to Samuel, even after he spoke the truth. So what did he do after that? He respected their agency, the Lord respected their agency, and Samuel continued to love and serve him. The people of Israel rejected God as their king. And Samuel is then inspired to call Saul as king, who is described as a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So despite all these great qualities that Saul started out with, all the things that Samuel prophesied about what kind of king Saul would turn into came true. Saul goes back and forth from being wicked to good, Till not surprisingly, the Israelites are saved by a young shepherd named David, who, remember, is the descendant of Ruth and ancestor of Jesus Christ. He proclaims to a giant of a man named Goliath in chapter 17, that thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The Israelites, after choosing to have a king, rejecting the Lord as their king, are then saved by a young man that refuses to put his trust in man, as the Israelites did when they chose to have a king. He knows where the source of true power comes from, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. When you are fighting these personal battles, 
trying to help those around you in whatever capacity God wishes, or perhaps even trying to help ourselves as we choose things that separate us from God? Are you calling upon the Lord's power, like David did, to fight the good fight, unashamed? Do you think that little David could have felt silly and small and stupid and afraid as he approached Goliath? Yes. He could have, but he had faith in the Lord. He rejected the shield and the sword crafted by men, which I'm sure he was mocked for, and brought with him his own gifts, his own tools that the Lord had blessed him with, stones in a sling and an unshakable, unashamed testimony of the Lord. You don't need anything more. You don't need fancy words. You don't need to have a scholarly knowledge of the scriptures. The Lord will help you know what to say. And as you are worthy of it, you will have the spirit of discernment. The Holy Ghost can testify to you what is true and what is false. As you live the gospel and study the scriptures, you can feel and know the difference between right and wrong. You, just like Samuel, need only speak the truth, then honor their agency, and continue to love and serve. Gary E. Stevenson said, May we raise our sights to this prophetic vision so that we can shepherd souls to the temple and ultimately to our Savior Jesus Christ. He does not expect us to perform miracles. He asks only that we bring our brothers and sisters unto Him, for He has the power to redeem souls. I love what he says there where he says he does not expect us to perform miracles, but we have been told by our prophet that we can seek and expect miracles. We won't be the ones to perform them. God will. Only he has the power to redeem souls. And to reiterate what Alma said, the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just. Yea, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them. Therefore, Alma thought it was expedient that they should try virtue of the word of God. Protest solemnly, with love, then honor their agency and continue to love and serve them. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.